Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is the show where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other tech topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by our co-hosts, Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions, Shaheen Khan from Orion X, and Jesse Lanham, our millennial standout co-host. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic and, yes, scintillating episode of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds, as always, and joined by the pizza man, Henry Newman, down in his survivalist bunker with an outdoor pizza oven. How you doing, Henry? I'm doing well. It's not a survivalist bunker. I'm just going to have to say this week after week after week, I think. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But, again, 21 inches worth of rammed earth around the walls. That screams out survivalist to me. When you get here, Dan, for the, the, the show, you'll see that there's no possibility that it's a survivalist bunker. Well, yeah, but we'll see what you've dug underneath it. <laughs> Driving on, we've got Shaheen Khan down in the valley. How are things down there, Shaheen? They are excellent, Dan. Very good. Very good. Well, our topic today is the ISC online conference just ended. And Shaheen has got some reflections. reflections. I have some reflections, yes. yes. Well, it's hard to reflect anything ISC without mentioning the word Fugaku. Uh, yeah. Definitely exascale class, if not quite 64-bit exascale, but over 400 petaflops is pretty good. 415 is pretty sporty. 415 is quite commanding right now. In terms of just the show itself, this is the first supercomputing show that went full digital. So yes. there's a lot to be learned from that. And there were a bunch of discussions about this over the week. First of all, congratulations to the ISC team because it was a smashing success. So replanning these events is just extremely difficult and they worked extremely hard to make it a success. And indeed, they had more registrations and attendance than they were planning and uh, hoping to get. So that's really good success. Oh, that's great. The second thing is that these events, you never know whether to make them completely free or to actually carry on having some kind of a fee. And then whether that should be just a nominal fee to get people to actually attend since they already paid a little bit or make it just a whole actual large fee and then risk some people not actually being able to do it. So that's a complexity that we'll see. What I'm seeing is that some of these events are moving towards a very nominal fee just to kind of remind you that you should attend. But I'm not sure if that really moves the needle. I think the real issue is how you schedule and allocate time on your calendar for these virtual events. And it seems like the best practice is that you block it on your calendar just like a physical event. And that allows you to take your time and kind of do what you need to do to uh, participate. Uh, I don't know what you guys did, but a lot of people were juggling their daily life as well as this, and they had to necessarily timeshare and just come in and go when they can. And, you know, when you do that, it's better than nothing, but you, you wish you'd actually allocated the time. So that's the big message is that allocate the time, block it on your calendar, do not schedule anything else, and, and, then, and then protect it. Because the other thing that happens is that you schedule it on your calendar, but then because it's online, you can wander off and do some pet project that you were always wishing to do. So, And by the way, this is the first episode of Shaheen's new podcast, Calendar Chat. <laughs> well, these are important learnings, I think. Yes, uh, but she, yeah, but she yeah. and I would just make a couple of comments. One, by the way, anyone who is interested uh, on the Japanese supercomputer should listen to the 
interview or the write-up that our friend Brent Gorda did on on the ARM chips in that system ah. were very interesting. Uh, but Shane, it is a big change in how people operate to block time, that much time, to do a virtual conference. It is not going to happen overnight. And it Agreed. is huge expectation from a corporate point of view to be able to say, oh, it's the same as going to a conference as being online and they don't expect you to do your regular job during the day. Yeah. Um, this is going to take not a year, not two years, not five years, but I think Ten it's going to take a, a good decade given the number of conferences. Yeah, I'm with you. Agree. Agreement, man. Wow. I don't think we're going to get there. In fact, because in thinking about being at ISC, and I've been there for the past, I don't know, seven years, that you miss a whole lot and everything will be posted online to where I could do it at my convenience and I can speed through talks, particular talks, slow down through others, that sort of thing. This just doesn't have, I, they did a fantastic job, but this just doesn't have the same impact as an in-person conference. That's the whole kind of challenge is that digital is not going to replace physical. No. And it's really just hard to get it there. On the plus side, people can attend that would never be able to attend. People who can't travel, people who can't fund the travel, this really allows them to participate in a way that would never do so. The expectation is that long term, it's going to be a blended conference. You'll have digital and physical at the same time. And and that's kind of the party line for SC20 right now is that they will do both. Yeah. The thing that I would do, though, in order to not cannibalize your physical is to have everything digitally available. But if you didn't pay for a conference digital pass or something, uh, it's available later, like a couple of weeks later or longer, or else you pay a nominal sum for a digital pass to give you access to all that stuff. But the people that paid for the conference attendance get the digital rights automatically and just as soon as they're online. And if it's digital live and you've got the time differences, it is every company is going to expect you, you know, you're in Japan and you're at SC. Oh, it's 12 hours. You can do a full day and do SC. Yeah, yeah, you can get them both done. Well, yeah, some hey, of you guys hey. did that this time, Dano and company, right? Some of some of you, you guys were up at 1 a.m. doing judging and analysis. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for the cluster competition. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to mention was that uh, things like Q&A and a side conversation, all of those are still quite not there, but there are ways of having some persistent chat sessions on the side, either through something like Slack or anything else like that. And then the other thing that was interesting to me was that they seem to be lower volume of news. And that made some vendors way less visible than in a physical conference. But Shaheen, we had four months where basically of a lockdown ahead of this show, or a good three months. Yeah. A lot of things got delayed that were going to be potentially going to be released. So I don't think you can say with with authority at this point about the news because you know, delays in product development and uh, benchmarks and 
performance and other things. Yeah, I would be. COVID. I would have been surprised if there was very much news at this at all because of the virus. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I wasn't trying to attribute reasons for lower news. I, I, I'm not saying that's because it's digital, but okay. there ne- nevertheless was lower news. Yeah. And I think that caused some vendors to be less visible than if I'd been at the show itself, right? And I can think of a few that I just like never heard of during the whole week. Yeah. And if I were there on the show floor, I would have run into them and seen them. Uh, sure. So that's, I, I guess, the message to vendors is that if you're doing digital, your visibility is kind of dependent on how much activity you do on the side. And then finally, because it's digital, you can compete with it easily. So even though you're not part of the event, if you have something that is relevant to the topic, you can just float your content out there and get some of the eyeballs that you would never have got in a physical show. Mm. But uh, but Gene, I, I just again, you know, not trying to pick on you, but given the amount of time that the vendors had to 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 completely do a 180 on this and to have a completely new marketing strategy for a conference. I think it went off pretty well. It absolutely did. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I agree with that. Top line, uh, just success all around. Very well done for everybody. All right, Dan, I'm waiting to hear about the student cluster. I'm, I'm excited. You're waiting? You've, waiting. Got, you've got baited breath. <laughs> I, I'm as impatient as I always am. His breath is baited. Well, this was a virtual competition this year. So, Every team was using exactly the same system at the same time. So lots of queuing delays. They were all just submitting uh, jobs at the same time. And there was even some keyboard lags at some of the busiest times. It was not a huge cluster. Kind of a uh, garden variety Haswell node plus one NVIDIA DGX1 node. And how much time did the students have to prepare and know what hardware they had and all that? They knew that. I believe in late March. Oh, really? But they couldn't That's get it. on the system until later on. And like some of the teams, like the um, uh, team from UPC in Barcelona, they suddenly had to switch from ARM to uh, x86. Yep. And that was tough. And the applications changed. There's no mm-hmm. Linpack or HPC G benchmarks this year because they would have all been the same. Mm, of course. Right? Well, in principle. In principle. I mean, pretty close. I mean, so, no different than the other apps they ran. They could well, have optimized them somehow. If there was a difference, then you know somebody hacked the system. Yes, you would. Because there's <laughs> there's really not that much you can do to an to a Linpack or an HPCG. Not on if a you're running, load. If you're running on the – well, if you're running on exactly the same system as everybody else. There's compiler options and things like that, but you yeah. assume everybody's got those down. They can't yeah. do algorithmic changes? I mean, I, I agree. The assumption is that those two are so advanced now. They're, they're so – everybody's so familiar with them that you're going to be in the same ballpark. But you're not running the same bits. Yeah, but there's just not that many levers and switches to flip on them. I see. And and given given my state of mind constantly with all the stuff I see online, the only, only thing I could think of is somebody hacked it. And if that might be a good uh, level setting between people running stuff to make sure somebody mm. didn't change some memory speed or mess up a dim or do a chip kill or something. Yeah, there were some teams that were trying to run uh, jobs on the head node, and right. that was verboten. 
Now, just, just to be sure, when you say you use the same system at the same time, the jobs were run serially once they yes. had... Yes. Oh, thank you. That's why they had the queue lengths. Did anybody have access to the root, to be root? Same operating system, same everything, I assume. Yeah, same everything. Now, why the cluster so small, dual node cluster? Well, they had to do this at the last minute, and the uh, National Supercomputing Center of Singapore graciously stepped up and provided some system time for them. Okay. So that okay. was helpful. But again, this was all last minute kind of changes. Because remember, ISC didn't decide to go completely virtual until sort of the last minute. And they couldn't move until ISC made their move. Right, right. Okay, I would have expected it to be a larger cluster, but let's drive on. Yeah. Uh, let's take a look at the applications. Changa was the first one, and this is a cosmological simulation thing. And they're simulating a galaxy cluster with some serious resolution on it. Mm. And taking a look at the leaderboard, USTC, which is the University of Science and Technology of China, really took a piece out of everybody else with this one. Wow. And take a look at how low the average and the median was. This gave the kids a lot of problems. Yes. Uh, could take us through the numbers because we're looking at the slides and we are kind of exclaiming and nobody knows what we're looking at. <laughs> yeah. USTC came in at 100% on this. Tsinghua University, perennial uh, winner. Yeah. To win, perennial winner. 86%. CHPC, another perennial winner from South Africa, 81%. But the average was 38%. Wow. And the median was 27%. Hmm. So that tells you just how much problem they had with this. Now, this is percent of what? Uh, percent of maximum. And who so defined maximum? It's the number of points available for it. And USTC oh, got so that's a grade they got. Yes. It's not like a percent of a peak flops or something. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's, no. What, that's what she and I both thought. Mm. Thanks for explaining it well, Dan. Okay. Well, you're idiots. Okay. <laughs> Driving on Elmer Ice, which is a open source finite element software for ice sheets. They've got those to figure out where ice is going and where it's been and where it's going to flow in the future. Wow. Yeah. And I don't want to ask you why it's called Elmer Ice, but uh, we'll come back to that as a catch later. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure where the ice came. Well, because it does ice. Does ice. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Uh, UPC Spain took this category with this application with 98.75%. All right. Wow. And these are the guys that run ARM all the time. But mm. they did a great job on this. Pretty comfortable lead over Nan Yang at 85%, Tsinghua at 85%, and CHPC and EPCC, which is the uh, Edinburgh team at 77%. And again, not an easy application for the kids. Averages at 43%. Very wide distribution here. Wide distribution, yes. So, so far, Synqua and CHPC are showing up on both. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tinker HP, which is a um, long polarizable molecular dynamics simulation. So if you have to do some, you know, molecular dynamics and simulate it, I would suggest you go with long polarization. <laughs> and Tinker HP fits the bill. So Tsinghua University tops this at 99%. 
CHPC relatively close at 94%. Nanyang Technological University, kind of the home team. They're out of Singapore, 82%. With EPCC and ETH Zurich bringing up uh, the rest of the top finishers at 81 and 77. There were 14 teams total here. This was a little bit easier for the kids. You see the average has risen to 61% with the median 74%. So Hmm. more teams caught on to this than didn't. Right. Now, next app, Growbacks. Now, if you're going to do some molecular dynamics, especially with, you know, Newtonian simulation equations. Right. Anything chemistry. Yeah. Go with Growmax. Get on the bus. Growmax is extremely fast at calculating non-bonded interactions with many groups. It's great. Right? Oh, well, those are the interactions that count. And yes, Dan, I are. assume you use it all the time. I like Daily. Growmax. Daily. I do. I do. I've got to raise my hand and admit that. I like Romax. <laughs> so Tsinghua University took the field with 99%. Close second. Again. Yes. Close second and third with CHPC at 96. USTC poking at them with 95. Nanyang at 91. And we see the Spanish kids from Barcelona at UPC at 83%. Average 50%, but a median at 53%. So again... This pretty is wide. Getting, yeah, it's still pretty wide. Yeah. Then there was a coding challenge, which... Uh, oh, we're not done. No, we're not done. No, mm. no, we're still going through the guts of it. Uh. So they have to write, they had to write a code that simulates a set of particles moving in two-dimensional space. Right? Okay, I wrote one of those way Did back. You? Yeah. Then you could have competed at this. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I think thank I think you. he's I think he's too old, Dan. Just FYI. Yeah. yeah, this does not sound easy. It's a fun project. It took me Is all it? summer though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. These kids had a couple of months, but it it was something that Nan Yang really cruised ahead of the field on this. They scored a hundred percent. Whoa, they nailed it again. They nailed it down. Next closest competitor was Ching Hua at only 74%. And UPC Spain, yes, at 67%. Average was a low 41% with the median at 37. We had a huge spread here. You know, not only do we have a big spread, also, it's not like the very same universities on every list. Every no. list has a slightly different composition. It's going to be hard for you guys to predict the winner on this unless you've flipped ahead in the slide deck. I have, ahead not, of me. I have, I have not flipped, but right Good. now my uh, it sounds like Sinkwa is doing really well. Uh, I'm, they not, are. Yeah. I'm not answering the question. Okay, because you flipped ahead. <laughs> uh, next one up is the AI application, which is BERT AI. And what they're doing with this is natural language processing. Mm. And it's they're we doing call the, that the NLP. Yes. <laughs> I call it hearing. But still, but this was not very easy either. But take a look at the results here. USTC from China, 100%. Next one up, 76%. ETH Zurich and CHPC at 71%. Average way down to 37 and the median way down to 39. So this was also difficult for the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the next thing is an innovation score that was worth 10 points. Oh, actually, that's a question. Are these all equally weighed? 
Uh, no, you're getting different weight for the applications. I believe 40% is the sum of all the application scores, 15% for AI, 10% for innovation. Uh-huh. And then the interview is like 15%. Uh, okay, so that makes it harder to predict, yeah. Yeah, but on innovation, the kids from South Africa, CHPC, took down all the points in that. Tsinghua was kind of a distant second at 78%. Interesting. Yeah, Nanyang, 75%. UPC Spain at 71%. Very low average at 33 and a low median at 14 And let me just say that this is one of the things that separated the teams because you had to be very innovative in order to get these points. It's the application experts, including some of the people that wrote the applications that are deciding how well you innovated. Wow. And I know that on CHPC, they did some things and turned some code inside out enough that the application designer is saying, I need to get with you guys offline after the competition and talk about what you did because we want to incorporate that into a future version. Look at the median. Yes. Incredible. Oof. You had to really innovate in order to do something here, in order I to mean, get any points here at all. But median below 15%. It's just incredible, right? Yeah. Well, this was, a, again, a very, very tough category. There were like some no-shows here? Yeah, there were there were a lot of no-shows. It's not that they didn't show up. It's that they didn't do anything really uh, surprisingly out of the norm. Right. So, so they try some, yeah. So they try some different compilers. They, they did some different builds, but that doesn't move the needle as far as innovation goes at this level. Mm-hmm. So the interview interview played a big part of this as well at 10%. Uh, every team had to interview with the judges for 40 minutes and Whoa. they had to put uh, they had to put together a presentation and take us through what they did. And and how interactive are these interviews? Are they just presenting, or is there a good solid Q and A? Pretty good Q and A. We were all on Zoom, mm-hmm. and it was at different times of the day and night to accommodate uh, the time zones. But there were good there were good apple there were good interactions. Excellent. I was I was impressed. Uh, CHPC. Nailed down 100%. Tsinghua, always good on the interview, 95%. UPC Spain, very good on the interview, close to 95%. USTC at 90. Uh, average was 68, and the median was 74. So these kids could talk. That brings us to the final. Hey, okay. I'm waiting for the unveiling. Here we go. The gold medal went to USTC from China at 83.11%. Silver medal went to CHPC South Africa at 81.65%, so less than two points difference. Bronze medal went to Tsinghua at 80.34%, less than two points difference from second place. Mm. Uh, honorable mention to Nan Yang for 77.23. The average final score was 45, and the median final score was 48. This was a very tough competition. Very tough. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of the things is that the kids could not interact with each other very easily. Mm. They also uh, were taking final exams. A lot of them were. That's and, true. And mm. I advised them during my interview 
go ahead and give up on the academics now. Concentrate on being the best clusterer you can and go pro in that. <laughs> right? That your towns will build will build statues to you if you win this cluster competition. Did, 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 You'll did, be did, set did, for life. Academics don't mean anything. They won't agree with you, Dan. No. Yeah. Especially the professors that I interviewed, the coaches. They didn't see that as a right way to go and mostly not even a funny way to go. Really? They, they thought it was too radical even for... I'm mm-hmm. surprised. Yes. But what is interesting is that the top three are very close to each other. Yes. Between 80.3 and 83.1. That's less than a three very people. small... Yeah, less than less three. Less than three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, so they couldn't interact with each other. They couldn't interact very well with their coaches either. Everything had to be Zoom or Skype or Slack or something, right? Right. So the coaches, when I interviewed them, they were a little out of touch with the, you know, day-by-day performance of their teams. And then compounding it is that they're all using the same cluster. And they didn't have a whole lot of access to it to really understand exactly how it worked. So it was just a very tough environment overall. The big thing that they missed out on that they all said was interacting with the other teams. Well, and, and they, they, could, they couldn't opt. They couldn't do no kernel optimization, no none of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So that makes it tough. But the thing I think they really missed was being able to talk to other teams and they always trade little hip, hints and tips. And I think that would have brought the teams that were lower up in their scores and just being together, you know, 10 hours yeah, a day I mean, in the room. Yeah. And being together beforehand was, is kind of critical. Yeah. Uh, kind so, of, it is critical. Absolutely critical. So that was the 2020 ISC virtual competition. And uh, interesting in that the, the teams you would expect to be at the top were at the top. USTC was always a tough competitor, and they've done this for seven times, but they'd taken about a three-year break. And I don't know if that was to retool and rebuild the team or what, but uh, they came back strong. Excellent. So there you go. Hey, Henry, I got a question. What is it, Dan? Is there any reason why nobody should ever be online ever this week? Oh, there's so many reasons. For it. I, I, I've had to rank them. And in the pre-call, we talked about my ranking. So I'm going to come up with, I've got to do two. So I'm going to do one for a little later in the show. All right. The first one is uh, out of a research group called JSOF Tech who found a, uh, in a common TCP software library used by Trek and lots and lots of other people for printers and other kinds of things, uh, 19 different vulnerabilities to the TCP stack that can affect many millions of devices. And the attacker could get control of pretty much everything. It can impact supply chain. It can impact all kinds of things. And this stack is used in a lot of embedded systems. So we use that TCPIP around here all the time. It's 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 a specific stack developed by a company called Trek T R. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's not it's not TCP. It's a library around the TCP. That's pretty brutal. Is there a fix out for it yet? Oh, there's a story behind the fix, of course, Dan. Of course, the company didn't want to admit it when these people said it. 
and then they, you know, and then as soon as it came out, there was a fix, and it's the typical, you know, what happens. Mm. So, hmm. Really shouldn't be. This is a bad one. Essentially, Henry, if I went back in time and looked at all of your versions of this feature of, of you know, why nobody should be online ever, then I think I would find out that everything I've ever possessed has been hacked. It's pretty much an assumption. Yeah, assumption. I, I, I wouldn't say has been hacked, could have been hacked. Mm, man, scary stuff. But the idea was that the moment you plug anything into the network, the first things to come to it are malware, and some of them are going to get in. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Yep. Speaking of things that are true, it's time for the catch of the week. Excellent. Not a great segue. I've done better segues. <laughs> You've done better ones. But let's go with this. Henry, what do you got? I've got a catch of the week. And it, it, it's along the lines of the future of what we got to be worried about. And I've read an article in Cyware News about a bunch of Israeli researchers who can now eavesdrop your conversations, well, may be able to eavesdrop your conversations based on your light bulbs. And some your smart of the, light bulbs. Your smart light bulbs. Well, according to this, it's, I think it's any light bulb. The variations of the light bulbs recover from sound waves and speech conversation within a room. It's, it, and it impacts the emission of light. So it's any light bulb. It's not a smart light bulb. Any okay. Light bulb. So, so this is this kind of along the lines of being able to do it by focusing a laser on a window? Yeah. Same. 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 So, sound wave hit the light bulb. It creates a small vibration and flicker. You measure the flicker of the emission of light. You can determine what they're saying. So would you say, Henry, if you're in a room having a conversation and there's some Israeli guys in the room not too close to you, but far, you know, a little bit ways away, and they're aiming equipment at the light bulb above you, that you should be concerned about your conversation. I probably should be. But, Dan, the, the issue is, and, and we talked about this in the pre-call, it's not what can be done today with, you know, uh, $100,000 or $200,000 worth of equipment. It's what can be done tomorrow with, you know, with off-the-shelf technology. So yeah. what are we going to do to mitigate this now? Because you've got to start thinking about these kinds of things today to worry, you know, to plan for tomorrow. I'm only going to talk in darkened rooms. <laughs> That's still going to vibrate the window. <laughs> it's, still, it's still going to vibrate. There's acoustic noise, Dan. I think my suggestion, and I think Shane and your wife would agree with this, don't talk at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's something to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you got a catch this week, Shaheen? I do. I do. Actually, what I was thinking of doing uh, is, is getting some coverage, which is good. So there is a proposal in the uh, Congress in the U.S. Uh, called Chips for America Act. Uh, so obviously, nationalism continues to grow around the world. But this one is uh, trying to boost indigenous manufacturing of semiconductor technology. Uh, so the uh, it's like $12 billion spending and tax package to try to promote that. This comes on the heels of TSMC saying that they would be building a chip manufacturing plant in Arizona by 2021. Uh, so it's, uh, it's significant. Very cool. Well, my catch is a story about doomsday bunkers becoming the new normal, much like what Henry has built for himself in the desert. These folks that are building shelters cannot keep up with demand 
<laughs> and it's interesting, we're starting to see a pretty wide range of pricing. You could actually build a bunker for as little as $25,000, which is not too bad. That includes water system, septic system, bedroom, kitchen, bunks, and a blast door. Oh, I see. Okay. Because when you, know, you said 25K, it, it sounded like not so affordable. Is that's that pretty wizard? small, though. Yeah, that's the building. What about stocking it, Dan? You know, food, no, that's not stocking it. You've got to stock it yourself. Air. Air is important. You know, uh, energy, yes. air, food. But, well, well, let me water. ask you this. I can get you, what if I told you I could get you into an 8 by 12 foot, not including the entry uh, corridor, that has a mud room, a decontamination room, a gas-tight marine door, air filtration, a blast valve, and a generator pod. What if I told you I can get you into that for around 50K? Um, wow. That something you'd be interested in? Not really. You know, well, you I'm, have one, what, Henry. What I'm getting from this conversation is that if you want a bunker ready to go, you kind of are looking at 100K or more. Is that true? Uh, about 400 a square foot on the high end. 400 square foot. and It can actually go from up to 3,000 per square foot. Yeah, well, Depending 400 how, per square foot. Yeah, how, how, how bunkerish is it at 400 square foot? You're not way underground at 400. No, you're not. It really, I think the range would probably, you would probably want to start at 600 bucks a square foot. Dan, I mean, 3,000 know, a square foot, that's high end. And what what's the smallest that's practical? I could get you into an inflatable for about 10 grand. <laughs> All right, so here's my question. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know the threat vectors that are uh, addressed by each of the each of the uh, square foot dollars. Well, the farther up you go, you're talking about not just blast, but also chemical, biological, and radiological. All right. So, Dan, yeah, Dan, I expect I expect a detailed PowerPoint presentation at the on the next call. But basically, the walk away is a bunker is for kind of rich people. Not so much. You know, it's, I mean, it's I, hard to really fathom that you can get one up and running and stocked and ready to go for any length of time. Yeah, but check out how much people spend on boats and things. And, you know, I don't know. snowmobiles and stuff like that. Boat, boat, they, they both begin with a B. Yeah. How, how, yeah how, but how, how expensive are boats? I don't know. Boats are 25000 on up. Oh, keep boats are yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they're the gift that keeps on giving because you got to maintain them. Yes, they are. It's you know the, everyone's heard the term. It's a hole in the water. You dump money. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, whereas, like a, there's a guy in this article that is using his 1,200 square foot bunker for his office until you know everything hits the fan. I see. So it's got dual use. Yeah. But, Okay, yeah, that's very storage. And he can write off of those taxes, right, Dan? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's another dwelling. You might want to rent it out. You might be on an Airbnb it <laughs> until something goes bad. Then you kick them on, out. On that note. On that note, let's go ahead and call that an episode of Radio Free HPC. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you all for staying safe. It's most important right now. And keep listening, right? Keep listening. We will be back at you soon with some new content. Bye-bye. Boom. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.